Hi, I'm Carrie Adams and you're listening to Carrie's Corner. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers, the people who make it happen in the liquor industry around the world. So, let's get sipping. Simon Back, fourth generation backlit to have taken the reins at Backsburg. You are now moving and shaking in a way that's quite different to that of your forefathers, I hear. Collaborations, diversifications. This week I hear that you've sold off some of your family's empire to the gorgeous, if inimitable, Tim Hutchinson of DGB. Tell us more. Thanks for joining me on my corner, Simon. No, thanks, Carrie. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, we we've done a deal with with DGB and uh, work. So we work very closely with Tim. I know you're a big fan of Tim, but mm. um, yeah, we've we've essentially sold uh, a majority stake in the the Baxburg brand and business, if you will. Uh, included in that is uh, also the the brandy business and the brandy stock. So. My great, my grandfather Sydney was uh, one of the first producers of Potsdam brandy in South Africa. So we've sold Sydney back brand uh, along with the stock, and yeah, I'm moving to become a director of an entity called Baxburg Family Wines, and um, yeah, just very excited to to kind of partner with with DGB and, and write a, a new chapter of Baxburg. Well, congratulations! I think it's fantastic news. I really do. Baxburg is one of the oldest farms in the Cape, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Give us a little bit of a history about Grandpa. Yeah, so I mean, the the story starts uh, all the way back in 1902 when my great grandfather, he was Charles Louis Back, he fled uh, Lithuania. My my family's uh, Jewish, and at the time. Jews weren't exactly the flavor of the month in Europe, and I think uh, he saw the saw the right. My hard times haven't there. really changed; they're still in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he started in you know, a super humble beginnings. You know, I mean, he was a dock worker, in, you know, in Cape Town, uh, and then he worked in a butchery in, in Adley Street, and then moved to own a butchery in Paul. And then uh, the story goes that someone came into the, his butchery at the time and said, "Hey, do you want to?" buy a piece of uh, land and, you know, for, for an immigrant to, to be able to own a piece of land was an amazing opportunity. And he, in 1916, he, he essentially sold his butchery and uh, bought uh, the farm claimed Babylon Stern. Um, and yeah, started essentially, that's the, the start of Baxburg. So yeah, the, the, the business has, has been going for 105 years. 
That's amazing. And he obviously, you know, I was speaking earlier to Winnie Bowman. I told you about just paying tribute to Dame P. Bailey, who passed away yeah, um, earlier this week. Legend. And your grandfather, your father, Dame P. Donnie DeVette, Bears Truter, all, you know, all of those people are just, it's just such a big part of the framework of the Cape yeah. wine industry. And having sort of moved from not focusing so hugely on retail, I mean, I still do, but I'm feeling an enormous sense that we need to put down on paper all these fantastic stories about the pioneers of the Cape Winelands. And your family are definitely one of the big, big players in it. And I think that one of the most important things that sticks out for me about Baxburg and Fairview, because Charles Back is your uncle and part, very much part of the family. The Back family have never been scared of moving forward and change. And yeah. I was just so excited when I saw a that you that you'd collaborated with with DGB, who I think are a a very um, positive force in this in the South African sort of wine landscape at the moment. We're going through a stage where I think there are an enormous amount of little wine farmers, yourself excluded. I mean you hardly could be termed as little, but there are a whole lot of little wine farmers who are battling terribly to keep their heads above water. Yeah. And I'm rather hoping that with collaborations such as yours, um I spoke to Tim extensively about it we can move in a direction where the big guys can start to help the little guys float their businesses. Do you think that there's an opportunity for that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, just to your first point, I mean, I, I agree, you know, we, we've always embraced change and, you know, family businesses need to evolve. You know, if you're, you know, staying static, you know, mm. you're essentially going back backwards in my mind. Um, in terms of your, your second point, I agree. Like, I mean, I think, you know, collaboration is almost becoming a necessity, you know, to, mm. to, to go it alone is becoming harder and harder just from a commercial standpoint, you know? Mm. So, you know, if there's, if there's scope for the bigger guys to work with the smaller guys and even smaller guys to collaborate together, I think, uh, that that's going to be critical for the sustainability of, a number of wine businesses. And I think, you know, uh, the, the collaboration piece, you know, makes sense. I think yeah. one of the days, like I say, where, 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 you, where you're just fighting your own battle, like, you know, everyone's got the same challenges. And if we can work together, I, I think that's, that's only exactly. And thing. I think, you know, Tim is also no idiot when it comes to collabs and things. He obviously yeah. took a look at you and said, Simon's still young, fourth generation runs in his veins not going to run screaming from anything, going to sort of <laughs> come, going to sort of come to the party with new and yeah. innovative ideas. And I think I can only see good coming out of it. I can only see a massive success story coming out of you and, and DGB together. I do hope that you will take that same collaboration story to Tim in an, in yeah. an attempt to try and include some of the little guys who are battling so badly. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm very excited to work with the, the DGB exec team. I mean, what they've done for some of the brands that, you know, I think Bosch and Dahl being, you know, yeah. the, the sort of case study and how, 
how they've built that brand internationally. It's an incredible story. I know. Um, he's you know, he's so. a machine. Timothy is a machine. We just know that. End of story. <laughs> what's <laughs> no, going to happen to your, um, Simon, what's going to happen to your kosher business? Because for many, mm. many years, Baxburg Kosher Wine is the only or was the only decent drinkable kosher wine in the country. And I think to a large extent, thanks, thanks, everybody Karen. drinks it. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's not an easy thing to make decent kosher wine, really, is it? Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's quite a mission, if I can call that. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, DGB are actually very excited about, uh, the kosher portion of our business. I mean, you know, it is a, a niche, uh, sort of market, um, but that's going to r- remain a, a focus as part of, going forward and you know i think they they believe that we can together grow that uh you know internationally you know they've yes. got uh you know tim's mentioned that you know they've got strong importers in in, in israel that have been crying for kosher for for years mm. um so you know together we we, we also purchased uh, the unorthodox kosher wine brand uh, about two years ago yes. and it's a very funky kosher brand uh, and you know that's doing extremely well in the U.S. Uh, and has got amazing distribution. So yeah, I think kosher is going to be part of the part of the plan going forward. So we 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 we're not going to suddenly discontinue that. So Simon, does does the Orthodox brand go with the the Baxberg brand that you sold to? to yeah. Tim? So so the, unor- the unorthodox brand was was part of the deal. Okay. Well, it is. I mean, it's a massive, a massive brand, and you you did get your kosher to the point where even people like me, not that I like to be thought, not that I like to be thought of as a sort of a wine snob, but I wouldn't, I didn't mind drinking Baxburg kosher wine. I didn't mind drinking yeah, it. No, I, I, I mean, you know, uh, no, no disrespect to to kosher wines, but I mean, I think ten years ago, many of them were sort of almost undrinkable. But you know, fortunately. You know, things have become a bit more sophisticated, and now you know I want to believe that you know the, 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 our kosher wines can stand up, you know, against you know call it non-kosher wines very easily. So Definitely. it shouldn't, there shouldn't be a an excuse for for inferior product. For the listeners' info, when it comes to kosher wine, do you have to have a separate cellar mm. and a completely separate bottling plant and a completely everything? So, so when when it comes to the production side, yes, you have to sort of almost. Uh, use uh, equipment and tanks quite separately. Um, so that's up to the point uh, of the wine or the juice being uh, going through a flash pasteurization process. Mm. Uh, so we, we make what's called Mouvachal kosher wines, and that refers to the flash pasteurization process. And after that, uh, you know, you can use the same equipment, e.g. like the bottling line, but it has to be under supervision from uh, the Beth Din, which is the Jewish you know, mm. food and, and drinks regulatory body. Mm. Okay. So, and, and how yeah. big a percentage of your business is your kosher business? It must be big. I mean, we used to sell millions of liters of that stuff. <laughs> um, you know, with, with, uh, with the unorthodox uh, brand, it's sort of ticked up. It's probably, it's, it's, it's maybe, you know, 10%, maybe some years as much as 15%. So it's, it's, a, it's a chunk of the business, um, mm. but, but still kind of a niche, a niche market. Mm. Simon? What's, what's, interesting, what's interesting just to round off the, the kosher story, in the U.S. particularly, you see uh, you know, uh, Jews who typically don't, uh, haven't always bought kosher wine, 
because sometimes of the quality issues, now they're saying, okay, actually, the quality, you know, kosher wines aren't aren't that bad. And so there's a huge, huge market in the U.S. I think that I think that exports are definitely what saved people like like Tim Hutch, which is what, what's put him in a position to be able to yeah. to purchase. Um, new wineries and and grow the business locally because he's yeah. always concentrated on his on his export market. Yeah. Um, I was about to ask you: you were the first carbon friendly winery in the Cape. What does that mean? Yeah, so um, uh, my dad's always been a little bit of a hippie. Uh, I think he'll describe himself as such. <laughs> Can um, I interrupt and, you and tell you a story about your father? <laughs> I remember when I first, first, first went to work for Soddy at Norman Goodfellows. And I'd been living in England and I didn't know too many people in the wine industry in South Africa. Well, I hadn't seen them for a long time, if I did know them. And I remember... Somebody came into the shop the one day, and I didn't know who he was. And Solly had a funny little office that hung above the beer fridges on the corner in Ilovo. And you had to go yeah. up a you had to go up a ladder. Do you remember it? You had to go up like a ladder to get to Solly's <laughs> office. I, I remember that. This <laughs> was a bit strange. <laughs> so yeah, it was like a belfry that we used, he used to sit in. And this this very strange person came into the shop and was sort of hanging about and hanging about and I and just quiet, very sort of um minding his own business. I went up to him and I said to him, Can I help you? And he said to me, I'm here to see Solly Kramer. And I, I said to him, Okay, perfect. And I ran up this ladder and I said to Solly, So there's a there's like a forest person in the shop. It's like a <laughs> I think he's a tramp. I think he's a tramp. He's here to see you. And just for, and Sonny came down the stairs and it was Michael Beck. And Michael Beck? He, he did look like a forest person. He is a hippie. He had a massive beard. I mean, he, he was the father, the grandfather of hipsters. Hey, really? Yeah, I mean, exactly. the, he was, he was hip before hipsters were around. The Swartland boys have got nothing on Michael Beck, but I then subsequently grew to know and love your father. He's an amazing guy. He's absolutely amazing. What is Michael Beck going to do, having sold half of his business? So, I mean, probably about 10 years ago, we, we started diversifying a little bit uh, sort of out of wine. So we've got you know a couple other things going. Uh, we've got quite a big blueberry um, business where we do fresh blueberries for uh, the local and export market. So, you know, this year we'll do maybe 300 or 350 tons of, of fresh blueberries. Uh, mm. We also have a, a joint venture with a Canadian company where we're doing medical grade cannabis. So that's a, a new project, which is which is very interesting. And then we also quite involved in sort of property type stuff. So. Uh, we've got a few other things going, and yeah, now we will have to you know, come up with new ideas and, and, and rebuild parts of the business. I've always said that everybody needs to be in partnership with a Jewish family just for six months. It's like a cram crash course MBA. I don't know where you boys get your business acumen from, but you definitely do get your business acumen. I interrupted yeah, you earlier, having asked you a question about being the first mm. carbon-friendly farm. Oh, Tell yes. us. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in the early 2000s, uh, the topic, you know, of climate change was becoming more and more uh, a thing. And, 
you know, we, we felt as a business and as a family, you know, we've enjoyed the, the so-called fruits of the land for generations, essentially. And, you know, up to that point, you know, if there was a tree in the way of a new vineyard or a piece of, <coughs> a piece of fame boss, it kind of got the, the bulldozer treatment. And mm. uh, we, we just felt we couldn't sort of operate in that, in that way anymore. And, um, you know, we started looking around, at, you know, different sort of call it green farming techniques and the idea of looking at the world through the lens of carbon emissions kind of resonated with us because, you know, organic, I think was fantastic, but you know, that only looks at one part of the, mm. of the business. Um, and so we, we started, you know, researching you know, a lot of things and measuring, you know, we became sort of masters of Excel and, and measuring all sorts of things from electricity to water usage to how far were our reps driving, how, where was the wine being shipped around the world. And we worked with some, some chemical engineers and essentially we, we did our first carbon audits in 2005 and then you know, set about offsetting you know, those emissions through, you know, major tree planting program and you know, trying to genuinely reduce our, our emissions through primarily reducing electricity and fuel usage. And, you know, farming in a sustainable kind of way has been a kind of cornerstone of how we've done things for the last sort of 15, almost 20 years. It sounds incredibly complicated to me. I, I would never <laughs> even have ventured. I would have been so busy trying to make sure that my wine was... My wine was sort of doing, I'd, and that's what I love about the back family. As I say, you trailblazers, you pioneers, you do all kinds of things that set the standard for the rest of the industry, and you have done for so long. Are you going to have anything to do with the winemaking process going forward, or are you are you leaving all of that I mean, to DGB? Yeah, I think. I mean, that's that's not my kind of area of expertise. I mean, I've obviously grown up in the cellar and grown up on the farm, but my my sort of sweet spot is more on the commercial side and more on the marketing and sales side. Uh, you know, DGB has some fantastic winemakers and access to some some great vineyards. Mm. Uh, so, you know, I think uh, you know, we'll I'll, I'll let them sort of guide that and uh, be in the background on that topic. And Simon, and, and, do you uh, live on the farm? Are you going to carry on living so, on the farm? So, so we sold the property that I'm currently on late last year, and we're moving down the road uh, just past Glen Carlo to another farm we have called Greendale. So, yeah, just moving literally three kilometers down the road. And your folks, where are they going to be? Yeah, they they they're also moving down the road to to this property. So you're making a new Greendale. homestead. Exactly. Yeah. Well, before no, we no, know it, be there's going to... Not going to be far from my mother. <laughs> no, you, a, a good boy, a good Jewish boy stays close to his mother for the rest of his life. I can tell you that. And a, exactly. and a, <laughs> Simon, um, you've, what, are, you, are your folks going to continue to... your dad going to be involved in the business or is he just doing berries and cannabis? <sighs> On the on the wine side, I think he's going to leave it uh, leave it to me. Essentially, I'm sure he'll he'll chip in, uh, you know, when he feels like it. But uh, that that's essentially he's going to leave to me, and then he'll he'll focus on the on the berries and the cannabis and property stuff. And then, yeah, I think you know the sustainability story like that's that's really his passion. So uh, he'll he'll continue to work on that as well. It's fantastic. Well, I do know, um, if I know anything about Tim Hutchinson, I know that he will preserve 
the legacy and the heritage that is Baxberg that your family have created. I know that Tim will do that. When you see what he did with the Podlashak family and how he, you know, sort of got their homestead back up and running and and sanctified it, really. So I know that we have no, we're not in any danger of losing everything that your family put into the wine industry in South Africa. It's a very, very good choice. And I look forward to seeing what you're going to come up with because you know you're one of my favorite little people from when you were tiny. (laughs) And I think that it's fantastic that your folks have got some space and some time to go and do what they need to do and leave you with a lovely big daddy to help you grow the the Baxberg name and business still further. Mm. Yeah. Congratulations. And, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to, you know, Tim – I think we we re- we felt from the beginning that he really valued uh, the history and the legacy, and um, you know that in, in, in doing the deal with them, you know that was that was an important part of it for us. Yes, of course. Well, I see only good things coming out of it, and so from us at Business, thank you for being part of a fantastic piece of the le- of the legend that is the South African wine industry. And good luck for the future. We'll stay in touch. We'll keep an eye on you. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Simon. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. Bye.